0: we are recording hello listeners wherever you are and welcome to fix this flick a podcast where two avocado toast loving and lazy millennials deconstruct your favorite films and tell you how we'd make them better i'm your host elite and for the second episode in a row my regular co-host rob can't join me but i've got his assurances he shall return in the near future so in his stead my close friend holly kindly accepted my invitation to well to tear apart a revered classic she actually hadn't seen before. Holly, thank you for coming.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Hello. It's been a while since we've done the face-to-face thing, so yeah. it's a good excuse to catch up.
0: Indeed, it's been too long, you know, with the pandemic and all <laughs> that, but it seems like us in Canada are thankfully past the worst, and hopefully that continues to be the case. I should ask you before we get started, are you okay with me lumping you in as yet another one of those lazy avocado toast-loving millennials.
1: I was actually going to call you out on that because <laughs> I don't like avocados. <laughs> um, but I'm also very lazy, so that that's fair. That's valid.
0: And and Holly, is it fair to say that, unlike anyone else who has previously been on this podcast, that you're actually sort of involved in the film industry?
1: Sort of involved is for sure how I would describe it. I mean, you might recognize me from TurboTax commercial. It was playing on the Super Bowl, if anyone watches the commercials during the Super Bowl. I don't know. I was that confused lady with the face. Um, That's how people now can recognize me. Uh, But I guess I've also done like, I've done a few other commercials. I was pretty lucky at the end of last year and some theater stuff. Uh, I like to just generally call myself a creative. So like right now, I guess I'm working on a script with you for our show.
0: Yeah, but that's top secret, right?
1: Yes, all details will reveal itself in good time, and you know, in case we fail miserably, we'll just pretend it never happened, and all the scripts will be buried, buried deep, deep, deep in the ground with our hopes and dreams.
0: As you can tell, we're very optimistic about our show's chances.
1: I mean, I I like to call myself a realist, so. Uh,
0: yeah, I call myself one too. But funnily enough, as much as we are realists, our show's going to have quite a bit of a fantasy, magical realism okay, angle sh- to it. Sh- sh- you're
1: revealing too much. Yeah. Okay. Much. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. Top secret. Top secret. Okay. Well, when you return to the podcast uh, in the near future, hopefully we can reveal more.
1: Yeah, and as long as we pick a shorter movie next time, I'll be happy to come back. <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil our, our discussion too much, but it was a very, very long movie. Very needlessly long.
0: The, the very needlessly long movie Holly's referring to is, of course, Quentin Tarantino's Django
1: Unchained. Whoa. Good cold evening, gentlemen. I'm Dr. King Schultz. What kind of doctor? Dentist? Amongst your inventory, I've been led to believe is a specimen I'm keen to acquire. What's your name? Django. Then you're exactly the one I'm looking for. Hey, no sale. No, very well. Please, no! When I hear the if I were you, I'd take that winter coat. You kill people, and they give you reward? Better, they are bigger the reward. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. I know what they look like, all right. They sold my wife, but I don't know who. You help me do that? There ain't no brain. I'll give you your freedom and take you to rescue your wife. Where are we going? Come on no.
0: We got us a fight going on that's a good bit of fun.
1: Coco, give me some sugar.
0: So you really free? Yes. You mean you wanna dress like that? Hey! I
1: what kind of dentist are you? Uh, yeah. touch your guns, you die. I like the way you die, boy.
0: Gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my
1: attention. What's your name? Django. The D Asylum. Directed by Quentin Tarantino of Pulp Fiction fame, Django Unchained stars Jamie Foxx as Django, a freed slave bent on rescuing his still-enslaved wife, who he hasn't seen in years. Django is aided by a German bounty hunter on this quest as the two journey across a savage and horrifyingly racist pre-Civil War America. The two manage to track down Django's wife, finding out she is now owned by a cruel plantation owner in Mississippi. They hatch a scheme to save her, but not everything goes to plan.
0: So that's Django Unchained. You know, I'm just realizing now it was kind of a risk inviting you to do this podcast about a movie you hadn't seen before. I mean, imagine if you had actually loved it. That might have been fun, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have just been two people yelling at each other, uh, otherwise known as American politics or dinner with my mom.
0: Burn. (laughs) (laughs) But, But yeah, I had a hunch it wouldn't be, you know, up your alley.
1: You chose wisely. I really didn't like this movie.
0: And, and uh, just for some context, uh, Django Unchained was a massive hit when it came out in 2012. It's actually Tarantino's highest grossing movie of all time. It won two Oscars and has been definitely elevated to the status of a modern classic. I looked it up last night and Django Unchained is actually number 59 on the IMDb Top 50, which is uh, astounding.
1: I mean, I, I really don't get it.
0: Well, but we'll unpack the movie to figure out why it was so popular and what we didn't like about it. And we'll discuss what worked for us too and we'll see if we can think of a few things that would improve Tarantino's work. A blasphemous proposition for his most diehard fans, I'm sure. And then we'll pass our final judgments on whether the movie is fixable or damaged beyond repair.
1: Mm, And we should mention, spoiler alert from here on out.
0: Before we saw it the other day, I hadn't actually seen Django in eight years like since when it came out. Mm. I, I really hated it while I was watching Mm -hmm. in the theater and I still remember it being real crowd pleaser and people were into it and so I kind of thought all these years like maybe maybe I was wrong maybe my first impression was just harsh or something and you know part of me was really wondering that while we were watching it the first time because I actually felt that the first few scenes were pretty good
1: yeah I actually enjoyed it the first few scenes
0: yeah I mean it introduces the characters Mm -hmm. in a fun way engaging and it gives you a feel of the racist world the movie is in and you get to meet the eccentric German bounty hunters played mm-hmm. by Christoph Waltz. You get introduced to Django and then Django is freed by the German bounty hunter. And but here's the thing where I, I would say I notice a pattern with the movie is the movie throws all these plot elements at you. Yeah. That in, in the in the grand scheme of things don't really matter. Like I mean I don't even really remember the bounty hunters there because Django knows what criminal criminal brothers like? look yeah. like. And and then they just,
1: (laughs) which also seems just so weird as a plot thing of like, oh, I'm going to find the one slave that may recognize them and bring him along with me. Like, there's so many other ways that you could find that out, I guess.
0: So the first like roughly hour of the movie is kind of I would say like a introductory Mm -hmm. chapter really, right? Yeah. You you learn why why they're working together, and you get to learn the ways of the bounty hunter. He starts to teach django some some tools of to the trade and he gives him a way of life that's you know uh, as a free person that he mm-hmm. can pursue and i would say looking at the movie as a whole that it's 2 hours and 45 minutes and i'll preface this by saying that i am a tarantino fan mm. But I would say I'm a Tarantino fan pre Django because what I started noticing with with his movies and like towards the latter end of his career, like his last f- four or five movies, is that he really bloats the runtimes. I mean, Inglorious Bastards, which I do like, is I think around two, two and a half hours long. Django Unchained is two hours forty five minutes. Uh, the movie he made after that, The Hateful Eight, is I think there's a version of it that's three and a half hours long. And Why? And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is... I don't think it's that long, but it's around there. And he, he strikes me as, like, me speaking as a writer, he strikes me as someone, because Tarantino writes all of his movies, he strikes me as someone who just loves his writing and yeah. can't bear to cut anything yeah. out of it. So it ends up just diluting the quality in the end. And it really, really shows in the first hour of this movie. The main th- uh, thrust of the movie is that he wants to save his wife, and she's she's a slave of this plantation owner who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio Calvin Candy who we don't even meet until an hour hour even, or so in longer, yeah. maybe think, even
1: longer yeah maybe even
0: longer yeah which again i'm okay with but i mean there's a few scenes in the in the first hour that you get introduced to the bounty hunter's mm. methods and he has a way of words and he he comes up with stories to get out of sticky situations mm. And those do inform who Django becomes later on. But I can think of just two scenes that could easily be cut. And that's like t- like 10 minutes right there. Yeah. There's a scene where the Ku Klux Klan comes after them. <sighs> And there's some comic relief with the clan members having eye holes in their masks that, that are too work. small, yeah. and then it turns out the wife of one of the clan members made all the masks, and he gets upset when they all don't like the mask, and, and so he and, leaves. And, and and then they raid where the bounty hunter and Django are staying, and I mean, easily cut out, I would say. There's another scene where where Django and the bounty hunter, this is when they first met, basically, and the bounty hunter just kills the sheriff in the town, and Django's, what the hell is going on? And it turns out that the sheriff was a wanted man and so the bounty hunter gets out of that situation easily could have been cut too i think yeah i mean it, it really really is a shame because one of the things i like about tarantino is that he kind of diverges from the main plot right. and then you get introduced to these characters in in these unique colorful ways and it's here throughout django unchained uh, i mean little things like how calvin candy he likes to be called monsieur candy because he likes french things but turns out he can't actually speak french yeah. so he has these pretensions but doesn't actually live them and th- there's a lot of little things like that eccentricities to the characters that i like but i feel like with his older stuff it had more of a cohesion and it felt less of a diversion mm. than it does right here.
1: yeah i mean i could, i can tell that i mean I've seen Pulp Fiction. You know how I feel about that movie. Um, Yeah, you need to rewatch it. I do need to rewatch it. You're right. 100% need to rewatch it. But I also didn't know what I was going into. So I think that's why I might enjoy it. But you saying that does kind of separate his Django Unchained versus Pulp Fiction because Pulp Fiction even though I was like what's happening everything that did happen and even the dialogue that led up to it all was engaging and it didn't feel gratuitous whereas with Django Unchained it just felt like oh let's add in another scene oh let's add in this thing let's just change it for me I didn't know what genre Django Unchained was.
0: Yeah it's kind of a bit of action with a bit of comedy yeah it's 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 heavy drama times too right yeah the best way to describe it i would say is that in something like Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill, they're long movies too, but mm-hmm. they're they're tight in terms of what you watch because mm-hmm. things are very much cause and effect. Something happens and then there's an effect. And this movie is more of a detour into exploring the different ways that racism looked like back then and just showing the horrors of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Ku Klux Klan-, Klan scene is one example or the scene where Django and the bounty hunter finally go to a Calvin Candy Leonardo DiCaprio's character's oh, yeah. plantation. You see a a slave being torn apart by wild dogs and you can just see all of the white people just kind yeah. of gleefully watching this display. Some the thing is with this movie, some are woven into the plots, mm-hmm. some are really big detours. And so we were I think I remember we were an hour in and we were just we were just thinking, wow like the, the movie hasn't even really started yeah. yet.
1: Yeah. Well it's funny because for me I also felt like the um i'm really bad with character names but big daddy big, big daddy?
0: so big daddy who's the head of the ku klux klan yeah
1: which like that whole thing the, kind of seemed like that was the movie itself <laughs> like we didn't need anything further but they're like okay now we need to make the movie happen because it felt like that was the whole thing because he was looking for these brothers he found these brothers he killed these brothers and then like obviously big daddy needs to get his revenge But then it ended and he was dead. And we're like, okay, now I guess we need to keep writing. Now we need
0: to keep going, yeah. Yeah,
1: like you could... And especially with Django shooting Big Daddy because what are the chances that he'd be that good at just like killing this guy on a horse? I don't know. It just seemed very... I guess I don't... I'm very bad with details. So maybe he was a gunsman. I don't know.
0: I don't think it was really mentioned. I, I think it's just implied... When Schultz, who's a German bounty hunter, just said remarks that "Oh, you're a natural." Oh, okay. Yeah. But even then, it's a stretch. But I, I, I mean, those things, I, I'm okay with those things sometimes. Okay. I guess the other thing that the introduction of this movie does is it shows us what the real goal of Django is in this movie, mm. and it's to save his wife. Yeah. Broomhilda was played by Kerry Washington. That's where I'd say one of my main problems with the movie is, is that the emotional core mm-hmm. of Django Unchained is. The separated couple who were torn apart because of slavery and cruelty of w- white people. Mm. And he just wants to get her back. The thing is, we never really get a sense of what the relationship was like. We we don't get a sense of what their lives were like together. Tarantino pretty much exclusively utilizes flashbacks, very f- brief yeah. flashbacks. Most, most of which are just her being tormented or yeah. tortured or beaten or whi- whipped, I think. Mm, yeah. And... Django pleading to have her not get branded i think she gets branded as yeah. well and that's really it and after the first few flashbacks he starts seeing visions of her right. like visions of her naked in the water mm-hmm. and that, that that kind of cuts the essence of what i feel like this groom hilda character is she's not really a character on her own right she's just this fantasy for Django to strive for and yeah schultz uh, really really likes the, the passion that Django has for, for Broomhilda, and he tells him the story about how Broomhilda was actually this character in this famous mm-hmm. German fo- flo- folklore, and a hero goes to save her in this, in this legend, and Django's supposed to be this hero, and that's why he wants to help him, which, which is all fine and good, but I really, if I want to mention a fix here, I really wish the movie would have had just one scene or two scenes where it's just them together you know enjoying life and or trying to find happiness any way they can maybe a prologue i don't know something something
1: yeah something you saw no form of any kind of bond or chemistry between them like even when she saw him for the first time she faints and then that's it and then the end when she's on the horse and she's like claps because he did it and blew the thing up there's no interaction between them
0: that's the thing she doesn't even have a line in all those flashback sequences and when he does finally meet her he he isn't even the one who tells her what he's gonna do for some reason it's Schultz and I think that's done a little bit so the build up for their final reunion can happen and then that's cut by her fainting and I get why it was done but it really kind of showcases how this movie isn't about Kerry Washington's character. Yeah. When we finally see her in person in the flesh, so not through a flashback, again, she's uh, she's being tortured. She's, yep. uh, she's in a hot box, yeah. which is just a like, hole in the ground where she's just supposed to sit all day. She's pulled out naked and dragged by men. And she's just kind of mm. screaming. And that's, that's her the whole movie. Mm. She's really the, just this fetishization of violence right. and v- victim of violence mm. who Django must save.
1: Right. Which I just want to step in because it, it's not like I think that's still important to have in the movie because that's how slaves were treated For sure, yeah. and like that's the like the racism of the whole piece. So it's not saying like, oh, take that out. It's just that we didn't see any sort of, real passion between Django and his wife at all like i they i think they kissed maybe once in the flashback but even maybe, then they definitely did they definitely kissed but uh even then i just didn't feel like there was any sort of like passion and i wanted yeah. to see that
0: i think it's supposed to just be assumed you know because right. they're slaves and you're you're supposed to go into it with the context of you know obviously sl- slavery was cruel and Mm. What happened to these people was just unspeakably unjust. And so you're supposed to just root for them in that kind of capacity. Sure. Which, sure, I'm okay with that. But I feel like there is a missed opportunity to just flesh them out as real mm. characters. I mean, beyond Broomhilda, I'd say even Jango's kind of a one-note character. I mean, we what do we really learn about him? We learn that he loves this woman and he's willing to do anything he can to get her. And he's a he's a survivor. Yeah. And he picks up things fast. Yeah. He, and he wants to get revenge. Mm-hmm. But that's r- really it. What else do we really know about him? Uh, he has a, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling to think of things. Yeah. He he likes, he has a certain flashiness about him. He likes to be a bit flashy. Yeah. If you remember the first costume he wears, yeah. because... Schultz like, tells him you need to have a character when you're a bounty hunter and you get your costume he wears this ridiculous blue outfit that's mm-hmm. even dated for for when that movie yeah. is supposed to take place can't really think of anything more than that and I think that's where the core of the movie is really just missing I don't want to compare too much to older Tarantino movies but when I think of another revenge movie that Tarantino did just kill Bill you understand all the nuances of Uma Thurman's personality in, the, in those movies and why she wants to get revenge and why she's reluctant to do it in certain ways and you just kind of follower on this journey and there's ups and downs to it and for Django it's pretty much smooth sailing until the very end when he gets captured but mm-hmm. when he does get captured nothing further of consequence happens there's threat of him having this horrendous life at working at a mine and losing his wife but it it's all ended so quickly yeah he just manages to finagle his way out uh, the situation and then he just goes back to getting his revenge so it feels really unearned Yeah. I mean, when when a movie's lacking that kind of emotional core, it just permeates the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. I also am just, for the most part, and you said that too, just the characters in general, I found very not fleshed out. And since I think you had said this while we were watching it too, it felt more like here's all these characters because we have all these actors that they could play these characters and then let's build a narrative around it. You know, I was listening to a couple podcasts about Django and like, people are just, like, loving Samuel L. Jackson's character, and they're loving how Leo DiCaprio's never played something like this, and it's so different. And I was like, yeah, but I don't think it really serves the story, the, the, like, type of character that they're playing. Like, it doesn't necessarily make me understand what kind of character it is. It's just, like, Leo yelling and doing things.
0: He always has to have a scene where he yells yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and uh yeah samuel l jackson's in this movie as well he's a tarantino favorite he plays the head house slave yeah of the of dicaprio's character calvin candy i kind of like how it was set up that he would be a nemesis later on in the movie when django says that there's nothing lower than the head house n-word and that that's the person who turns out to actually ruin their scheme to mm-hmm. save Broomhilda and we <laughs> we should get into what this the scheme oh, yeah. was. So they basically track down Broomhilda to this plantation owner yeah. in Mississippi, Alvin Candy, and they know that he owns this massive plantation has a lot of slaves and he likes mandingo fights. Mandingos are just black slaves who fight to the death against yeah. each other for for entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. And so what's this scheme that they come up with?
1: Uh, that they're gonna buy one of the Mandingo slaves for themselves for $12,000 so that they could also get Brumhilda? Like, I don't quite know the logistics but they go in being like oh we're going to buy buy this guy and we're going to we're going to barter with you on it but to what extent I don't really know how that ends up leading into being like but also we're going to get your wife
0: it's all meant as a distraction from what their real goal is sure because if they offered some money to buy broom hilda and they were just turned down or they weren't even given an audience then they would have never gotten calvin candy's interest mm-hmm. or attention because he's a big shot and then that would have been it so that's sure. the, so that's that's the thinking and i remember they all came back to me why i didn't like the movie watching it the first time because i remember thinking like there had to be a simpler way to figure out how to get her. I, I mean, their angle was that Schultz is German and Rümhilde is revealed speaks German. And so they come in and pretend it's like, oh, wow, I heard that you have this slave who speaks German. I'd love to meet her. And yeah. the idea is to just kind of throw her in into the mix. Like, oh, you know what? Throw her in as well. Kind of hide what they're doing. But wouldn't it have been simpler to just go in and say, I'm German. I'm used to this area. Yeah. I heard you have a German slave. I like Mandingo fights, too. I don't know. Something along something. those lines.
1: Yeah, well, because it's the same as, like, how I guess he technically bought Django like, at the beginning. You know, he just was like, I want your slave, and then eventually shoots the guy at the beginning. But, yeah, I think there's some, like, okay, you run into him and be like, hey, I've been hearing your name about how you have a slave that speaks German. That Like, I don't see why that couldn't have been done. And then even, I think, Samuel L. Jackson's character eventually is like... I don't understand why they had to deceive us like this. And it's like, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> and then, speaking for us. Really. Yeah,
1: and then everyone gets shot. So it's just like...
0: Yeah, what really muddles the plan is that Django comes along and he pretends to be this big shot Mandingo expert right. who who's helping Schultz figure out which Mandingo to buy right. from Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And he's the one who arouses the suspicions because... Stephen, who the name of the the slave played by Samuel Jackson, he can just tell there's some kind of relationship between Django and Broomhilda, and he figures it all out pretty quickly, yeah. intuitively, which I liked. He yeah. kind of figured it out. But I mean, if they had just not <laughs> brought in Django in the first place, yeah, it would have, yeah. it wouldn't have aroused suspicion at all. It just this doesn't seem like a big deal really, and it's one of those things where just go with the flow of yeah. the movie, which I think is what a lot of the people who like the movie do. It reminded me of of how this movie was clearly designed backwards. Yeah. Instead of starting with the characters and their experience and you know where they start and where they end, Tarantino wanted to throw in a German bounty hunter because he probably wanted to cast Christoph Waltz mm. again and he wanted Leonardo DiCaprio in it in some way and he wanted to have Mandingos in it and he wanted to throw this in yeah. and that in and and so plot and the characters are just kind of Secondary. molded around all of these things that he wants to insert. And he wants to insert all these examples of racism. Mm-hmm. Fine, do all that. But you should start with the characters and the emotional core of the movie. Yeah. And I think that's like uh, that's like the biggest fix to just change. I mean, it's a huge fix, really, because yeah. it will change what the movie is like. <laughs> right. But I mean, I-, I would be curious to see what a version of it like that would be, where it's just focused on him saving his wife mm-hmm. and-, and you really see his love for his wife yeah. and figures out a way to get her that isn't so very blatantly choreographed in a way to just satisfy the director's goals of inserting all this other stuff and there's just a lack of harmony there and it really came through the first time I saw the movie and it was there the second time so we don't want to shit on the movie too much there there's a lot of things to like about Mm -hmm. Django and we talked a little bit about how it really does showcase the Horrifying nature of what racism was like back then and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is just a a horrible human being. (laughs) I mean, so when we talked about a runaway slave who was torn apart by dogs, the reason he tore apart the, the slave is because he didn't get his return on his investment for having this slave as a fighter because he only fought for him a couple of times and he expects five fights For the amount of money he played for him. So it's just this callous looking uh, looking at them as property. Yeah. As something to just be disposed of and expendable. We also find out that Calvin Candy, DiCaprio's character, is a fan of phrenology, which is the study of human skulls, which was a science, quote unquote science to see the differences between the races. And he he takes out the skull of one of his favorite slaves and he cracks it open in front of Django and just explains how these indents in the skull mean that black people are more subservient Mm. than you know white people and that explains why they just accept their fate when as as candy says if i was in that position i would slit my master's throat right away this is all real stuff so uh, in that sense the movie is really educational because it really showcases to you what the reality it was of just how disgusting people's thoughts were and how they justified their behavior schultz it bugs him that's the thing about schultz is that throughout the movie we see that he has a soft side for Mm -hmm. what happens to slaves we see that he's really a product of his times That's where, you know, in in the climax of the movie, what ends up happening is Stephen, Samuel Jackson. He reveals the plot and...
1: And then they get found out and then there's a big shootout. Like, did I miss something?
0: The, the reason the shootout starts is because Schultz he just can't handle he's he's basically forced to pay what they wanted to pay for the mm-hmm. mandingo oh, slave yeah, for for, uh, for Broomhilda. Yeah. So uh, the the protagonist could have got exactly what they wanted, but Schultz couldn't accept just letting yeah. this racism right. Last, Sorry, yeah. Last right. Back. Yeah. yeah. And so he shoots DiCaprio, and then he gets shot in turn. He right. he basically I guess he's supposed to be the white man redeeming himself by sacrificing himself. Maybe. I think he's supposed to be the white man who can't stay silent anymore. Yeah, that's fair. About, yeah. about all, that, all that he's witnessed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was really impacted when he saw the dogs tearing apart, that runaway yeah. slave. I guess he reached his limit by, mm. by then. But yeah, in the end of the movie.
1: Bloodbath.
0: Just a bloodbath, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he escapes. Uh, he gets captured. Yeah, he escapes, then he escapes this capture and, and then goes back. Yeah, and then he goes back and then he continues killing people. It just becomes a ridiculous like fantasy revenge in the end, which also again I'm I'm okay with. Yeah, totally. But why did it need to be so long and dragged out? Like why did it need this interim of him surrendering himself and then coming back yeah I remember the first time I saw the movie I couldn't believe that it just had this interruption where Tarantino actually cameos has a cameo in this movie uh, as an Australian for some reason and he gets he gets blown up by Django because he's holding some dynamite Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean I guess the scene is there because other slaves see what Django's doing and they're just inspired yeah but I mean all these things could have been woven in in Mm. a much tighter more cohesive way so by the time we come to the end of the movie we're just like is it over yet yeah, yeah Is it over yet? Okay, okay, we get it. We get it. He got revenge and he, and he shot all people who tormented his wife and all the racists he can mm-hmm. find. So I guess there's a, there is a catharsis in there as an experience, as a movie. I just feel it could have been more effective if it was just tighter yep. than if you actually flesh out your characters.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah I, think, yeah, I don't think it was a terrible movie. I wouldn't watch it again. But I do think that it could have been easily trimmed to an extent that it was enjoyable for me.
0: And I, I really feel bad for Carrie Washington. Yeah. Who's, who's a great actor. And in this movie, she has literally nothing to do. There's a scene towards the end where steven pulls down back of her dress to reveal all her scars just yeah. to upset Django, and that's yeah. the essence of the movie right there she's this thing to trigger to spark his revenge and she's she's just a tool yeah it's, it's really a shame because there is an opportunity there to have a great female character like yeah. imagine imagine that film from her point of view i almost wish mm-hmm. it would have been from like, her point of view and i mean the great performances elsewhere like samuel L. jackson i think he really enjoyed
1: <laughs> being the comic relief
0: Yeah, yeah, of just being this ridiculous, self-loathing slave.
1: Also, I really don't understand DiCaprio's character's obsession with his sister. I don't understand why that was part of the movie. But hey.
0: It's just color is just i guess it's just there for the sake of being it's just to show he's weird i don't know i guess <laughs> i guess it doesn't strange. really matter but no. it, it's, it's one of those things tarantino does where he just adds details right. to a character and that doesn't necessarily inform anything but yeah when you mention that people really love this movie i can see why there is a lot to like it has a clear visual style to it that's that's you know something that's clearly well thought out and impactful it's more i think the ideas that the movie brings about and how it's packaged in and, and entertaining way that I think really attracts people to this movie it's all there it's just a shame that in the grand scheme of things it's, it's really an emotionally lacking movie I mean you could say it's a fun revenge fantasy when when I felt it had potential to be so much more and when just the sheer length and all the meandering of it really took away from it not to mention just the sheer silliness of that, that core scheme that they concoct that we we already talked about so on to final judgments, Holly. So mm. would you say this movie is fixable or damaged beyond repair?
1: No, definitely fixable. And I, I also said that earlier too. I think it's just regarding editing and cutting. And I think you, what you said, it is Tarantino being like, I don't want to cut any of my precious dialogue. But he also has some great dialogue in Pulp Fiction that like is short enough but gets the like point, has that heart to it. So you don't need to make it so extravagant and like, Yeah, it's just scenes that were in there for like, oh, I want this scene in here, so I'm putting it in here. So I think the movie can easily be fixed with just cutting.
0: I think I agree with you. It is fixable. Mm -hmm. I I would say cutting, yes. I would also add that more attention needs to be given Mm -hmm. to the the emotional center of the movie. The relationship between Brumhilda and Django Mm -hmm. should be emphasized more Mm -hmm. and take the place of all the superfluous stuff Mm -hmm. with Ku Klux Klan, Big Daddy, that that character could have probably been completely cut out of the movie. Yeah. It's not quite an e- as easy of a fix, but I would say maybe making the movie something more along the lines of Brumhilda's experience. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, you said that too.
0: Yeah, maybe making maybe maybe making the first half Brumhilda's experience mm. and the second half Django's something. something along those lines, where you can accomplish all the things you want to accomplish with this movie, but instead of just having this gratuitous violent stuff at the end yeah i just feel like there's ways of having those things without leaving the movie feeling hollow yeah at the same time yeah gotta agree with you i think fixable yeah yep. and before we sign off we just want to recommend a few things that mm. we've been watching lately. Uh, Holly, so anything you, you recommend?
1: Yeah, um, I just watched the second season of Dead to Me, but I also really enjoyed the first season that came out last year, mostly because of the relationship between the two women in the show. What's it's, the show about? It's So it's basically this woman, it starts out with you find out that her husband's dead. And so she's mourning the loss of her husband while also trying to take care of her two teenage boys. Um, And so she goes to like a grieving counselor session where you sit down with a bunch of people in a group who are also grieving. And there's uh, this other woman there who's just like very strange and weird and kind of like obsessive over her. And you're like, who is this person? And it just kind of, is a weird crime drama in a soap opera kind of style because there's just stuff that happens that you are like, what? This is not reality, but it fits with the way the show is played. And it's a half hour drama, which is what I really like because they get everything they need in a half hour instead of making it an hour long drama and just adding things. But I do, the the relationship between the two, two actresses, uh, Christina Applegate and I should know the other woman's name, but they're both very fun and it feels like almost the second season at least feels almost there's times that it's like improvised just because of the way their dialogue flows and i i I just really think it's a really well like written
0: so it just feels very realistic yeah yeah cool and is it on netflix it is yeah okay cool okay Mm. i want to recommend something i saw just last night, actually. It's an old movie. It's from the 40s. It's called The Red Shoes. And it's all set around this traveling, uh, world-renowned ballet company. And here's the thing. like, I'm not into ballet. I'm not into dance. And I-, I still found this movie really riveting. It's based on a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale called The Red Shoes as well. And th- the basic idea is it's about a woman who finds these magical red shoes and when she wears them, she just has to dance and she can't stop dancing until she... Literally drops dead. The movie is about this ballet company that decides to stage a ballet about this. And we we just follow the life of this ballerina whose own struggles kind of mirror the struggles of the girl in the ballet. And a lot of the movie has to do with how much you dedicate yourself to the pursuit of your art, whatever that is, and how much you just devote to, you know, just love or just simple happiness and I thought it was a really interesting exploration of that dilemma. How much do you devote to your art how much of yourself do you put into something like that without it being you know self-destructive and i thought it was amazing and there's this section halfway through the movie where you just see this performance that's of this ballet the red shoes where it's just mesmerizing really and this is coming from someone who's not a ballet fan so yeah i, re- I really liked it i'd recommend it I, I don't think it's on netflix this one might be a hard one to find but worth it if you're interested <laughs> so that's our episode thank you so much for joining me holly i really appreciated you coming in filling in for uh, rob and i
1: hope i did him justice that's you all.
0: did you did indeed yeah okay and i promise next time you come here it will be a shorter movie thank that you. we watch i'll keep it under two hours mm-hmm. i promise thank yeah. you yeah so we'll be back again soon uh, thank you again holly for coming this is fix this flick and we'll be back soon